Welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. My name is Talaya Dindi. I'm a cancer thriver, cancer doula, independent patient advocate, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, everyone. This is Talaya Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to Navigating Cancer Together, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Gwendolyn Mitchell. Gwendolyn has been a lifelong seeker of higher wisdom. As a child, she was drawn to elders and was often described as being an old soul. She was the third of 10 siblings, 10 siblings, wow, (laughs) which she describes as perfect training for leadership, dealing with many different personalities and learning to deal compassionately with conflict. Helping others has been a lifelong passion. Gwendolyn became a Reiki master in the early 90s in the UC system of natural healing to help eliminate human suffering. She has supported clients seeking balance and healing at every stage of life. She previously served as president of the Reiki Alliance, an international organization of Reiki masters. Gwendolyn is also the founder and CEO of Moyo Institute, Inc., a 5013C nonprofit organization. Moyo's mission is to offer heart-centered educational experiences that foster inner peace, happiness, well-being, creativity, connection, and oneness. Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you, Talia. It's really an honor to be here and especially with you. I've been following your work for some time, and I'm really pleased and impressed with everything that you're doing to really support folks on the journey with cancer. Thank you, Gwendolyn. I appreciate that so much. And that means so much coming from you with all the beautiful work that you're doing in the healing space. And I'm honored to know you. I shared in your bio, Gwendolyn, some information about your background and experience. Please tell the audience more about your background and the pivotal moment that led you to the work that you do as a body, mind, and spirit teacher. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, you mentioned that I grew up in a family with 10 of us as siblings, and one of my brothers was born with cerebral palsy. And my dad had a mystical experience when he was a a young man where He was very devotional and he was visited by an angel in hospital and given the gift of healing. This was long before my brother was born. And so he would do healing work. He would pray for people. His palms would 
be filled with oil and he would anoint them and they would be healed. So that was a part of what I grew up with. And for many years, my family were very, very much involved with prayer and church and healing. And when my brother was born and my dad was not able to, quote unquote, heal him, he stopped doing healing work, basically. I didn't really understand this until much later as an adult, but that was really a driving force for me, always wanting to help my brother. So it's really what led me into um, the path of doing healing. It's a beautiful story. And to grow up and see that at such a young age, I can really understand how that has been instilled in, in you and the work that you do. Just wanting to be able to carry that on and continue to help people. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. And what I'll just add is what I learned over time was that my brother did not need healing. His life was a gift to us to learn a lot of different things. And as a young person, I was personally responsible as his caretaker. Whenever we went places, I was to be with Edgar and to make sure he was okay. What I learned much later was we were the ones who needed healing in terms of our ability to receive, to hold him, to help him, to nurture him, and to learn the lessons that were laid out for us to learn having him in our lives. So that was very profound for me on the journey. That's a really interesting perspective because a lot of times when a family or a loved one is sick or they have a disability or something, it is hard for the other parties to accept that no one wants to see their their loved one go through something like that. So I really love your perspective and how you explain that. Really, it was you all that needed the healing. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. Gwendolyn, you were a caregiver, it sounds like, at a pretty young age. How did that impact you? Other than the healing work that you're doing today, what other insights did you get as such a young caregiver? I really learned to accept people as they are. And to not judge, you know, how kids go through this phase of making fun of others. Never did that. It was something my mom really instilled in us. And just being responsible, I think in some ways it made me overly responsible because I actually held the position of eldest in the family, even though I was third child. Okay. I grew up with more compassion, I believe, and more care. Beautiful. Yeah. Gwendolyn, in a different conversation, you share with me that your sister and mother have been diagnosed with cancer. Can you please share how their experiences impacted you as a loved one and how you use your gifts to support them? Thank you for that question. I was thinking about this in contemplating this in response to knowing that I was going to be on this interview today. And I realized that the first time I heard the word cancer, I was about 11 years old. And my father's sister died of breast cancer. And shortly after that, I found a lump in my breast and had surgery as a child to have that lump removed. So 
that was my first introduction to this word cancer. It turned out to be a benign tumor. And then much later, like when I was teen and I was taking birth control pills, Mm -hmm. I had another lump in my breast. And that time when I had that surgery, it was a different side. I understood what it meant to sign the papers saying that if they found cancer, they would remove the whole breast. And so that was pretty traumatic for me. Yeah. And so that was my personal kind of journey with this. It turned out that was a benign tumor as well. It was like a swollen milk gland as a result of having taken birth control pills. So with my mom, actually, mm, she had diabetes and she had fallen a few years earlier. She was in uh, nursing care. And when they found cancer, it was already metastasized. And she made the decision, I think the very courageous decision, that she wanted to not be artificially kept supported. So when she learned that the cancer had spread throughout her body, she made the decision not to continue having dialysis. But it was after she had gathered all of her children all all of us and all of her many grandchildren and great-grandchildren and prayed with us and blessed us and thanked us for all the gifts and the things that we brought into her lives and how we supported her and basically set us free. Mm -hmm. So it was very short. It was less than a month between the time she was diagnosed and the time she left her body. And for me, it was a really powerful, but very beautiful experience as well to be released in that way. And that was in 2012. And my sister, she was my eldest sister, and she had a recurrence of cancer, of breast cancer, several years after the first time. And um, I was her primary advocate and caretaker And I was responsible for getting her to all her appointments and to help her navigate through treatment decisions. And it was extremely difficult. This is the primary reason why I do this work with with love letters. Also witnessing over the years, her feelings of inadequacy because of the breast surgery that she had. She didn't have any kind of replacement surgery, but she always felt bad about Mm -hmm. her body and about how she looked. I helped her get the right kind of bras and that sort of thing, but she was never able to really let that go. She is the primary reason that I do love letters to our bodies because it's really important for us and for our overall sense of well-being, whatever we're going through, to be able to hold in perspective the balance point about the beauty that is within us and all the ways that we're supported by the body in the face of disease. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gwendolyn. And such very important project and work. And I want to come back to that in a moment. Um, We're going to talk about love letters to our bodies in detail. 
The the other thing I want to ask you and also mention is that you've traveled all over the world. You've been to some amazing places, and I hope to be a traveler like you one day and travel all over. (laughs) You've had a lot of different mini cultural experiences as well. Can you share, Gwen, from your perspective, how healthcare and the treatment of cancer is different in some of those places and cultures? And then also, what has it taught you about healing? I'll say that in my travels, I wasn't really traveling through the healthcare systems, but what I have come to understand over time is just the different ways that different cultures hold this notion of disease, for Mm -hmm. instance. Like in the West here, we're more prone to treat symptoms, take a pill when there's a pain, or to really just cut something out and hope that's the answer for it. But what I find in some of the other cultures and in the Asian cultures, both in like in China and in India in particular, I've also been to Japan and I think this is held in that culture too, that really there's an understanding that our physical bodies are a part of, we're like a microcosm that's a part of a macrocosm, a larger system. And all of the systems within our body have to be in balance. And we also have to be in balance with nature. And so there's not the same quickness to eliminate the pain by just treating the symptom. There's really a deeper exploration of what is the cause, where is the imbalance. And I think that's so important. And that's what informs my work too. I've gotten acupuncture treatments just as a matter of course for many years. And I've read that in Chinese medicine, for instance, that the perspective is that you treat a disease like a guest that you've invited into your home. And it's not that you just immediately start pushing that guest out of the door. You know, you want to really understand how did you come to be here? Mm-hmm. And that's a totally different perspective in Eastern medicine. My teacher in, from India always talks about disease as a function of the body being out of balance and out of harmony with the mind and the consciousness, essentially. And that when the systems in the body are working together, we experience oneness in the body, and that's reflected as health and well-being. So I think these different approaches, it's like, I recall years ago being with a colleague at a conference and all of a sudden he couldn't move his neck and he wanted to go to emergency. And I was like, you really need to go to a chiropractor. But we went went to the emergency room and we sat there and they they prescribed some ibuprofen or something for him. And he left there unable to move his neck. And I went through the phone book and found a, a chiropractor who could take him that day. He had an adjustment And immediately he was able to move and we were able to go on about our business. So it's not always about getting rid of the pain, but it's about really looking at what systems are out of balance and how can we invite them back to wholeness. I really love that outlook. And I wish that it was more accepted and adapted because 
the way our system is set up now, like you said, they prescribe a medication. And unfortunately, that medication may not always work and it can cause something else. So I think that getting the body back into harmony and getting to the root cause is so critical to healing. I always do encourage people to recognize that this is a perspective and it is an approach and that it is not a substitute. They have to really be their own advocate for their well-being and to begin to understand these dynamics in this relationship. I love your story about really taking agency in your journey and really making the kinds of decisions for informed decisions about really what works for you. So I always tell people, this is not a substitute for your conventional medical care. Talk to your doctor, get advice, do what you need to do. I primarily tell them that because I don't want to be sued for medical malpractice. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. But I think there is an important role for both the contemporary conventional medical care and integrative medicine. I agree. And it's important to be aware of both. If we think about it, they were treating illnesses and things like that at home in the past and successfully. So with nature, what was in their cabinets, what was in their gardens, I I don't think it's wrong to have that in your toolbox. You're right. And all of the medicines are derived from plants anyway. And we're just, we're living in these fast paced societies where we're constantly bombarded by stress and not getting enough rest. We're not eating properly. That whole food system is a system that doesn't work for African-American bodies. And there's so many ways that we're not in touch with our place in this larger ecosystem and how it can support us when we're in harmony with it. Mm -hmm. That is true. I want to get back to Love Letters to Our Bodies. That is such a beautiful program. I had the honor and the pleasure of being a part of that. And I really want the audience to really understand what that is about. And then also why you primarily focus on African-American women for Love Letters to Our Bodies. I know you share the, the story of your sister. That's the primary reason. Yeah, and I think my sister was emblematic of a larger, I will say, issue. But I think like for African-Americans, period, and for women in particular, we have this really complicated relationship to our bodies. We are constantly put up against in mass media standards of beauty that do not reflect ourselves. And from a very early age, we start having things done to us to make us presentable. I was reading someplace about all the carcinogens in beauty products and in these hair straighteners. What we know is that cancer really is ravaging the Black community. And that's why I chose to focus on African-Americans and people of the African diaspora. You know, that we have poor health outcomes as it relates to 
cancer, sometimes because of later diagnosis, and sometimes because I think we have higher incidences of cancer because of where we live. Sometimes it's the pollution in the environment. Add that to the pollution in the dyes for our hair and the chemical processors and the pollution in our foods and in our household products. And I think that I want to care for, I want to care for us and I want to, and my work, by the way, is not limited to African-American people, but I just really decided to focus this particular project on African-American women so we could begin to unpack some of these issues in a safe environment. And I know the self-talk that goes on in here about, is my nose too big? Are my feet too flat? Like all these kinds of things, like my hair, what about my hair? And so I wanted us to be able to have those conversations with other women like us in a safe place. And that's why we focus on African-American women. And also to recognize that our bodies, first of all, they're not really ours. They're sort of loaned to us. <laughs> they're vessels for our spirit and they are their own entities with their own intelligence. And we give short shrift to our bodies. We don't really acknowledge and appreciate all the ways that the body serves us 24-7. You know, we don't have to give it instructions to beat our heart or to breathe or anything like that. Our body is constantly taking care of us and it's also sending us signals when things are not right. It's so funny. I can pick up something in the grocery store and automatically my eyes will start watering mm. because it's something my body does not want. And we all have this capacity, if we pay attention, if we start really listening to our bodies, we've been taught to override it. We've been taught to suppress our emotions. We've been taught to behave properly. And we've been forced to sometimes eat when we didn't want something. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want it because it maybe wasn't good for us or we had enough, but we needed to clean those plates anyway. So we have been conditioned to override our body's intelligence. And I want us to get back to being in relationship with the body and to really learn from what it is trying to teach us. That is very important, Gwendolyn, because I can honestly say that I was so out of touch with my body until I received that diagnosis and I was forced to stop and slow down and really pay attention to what it was telling me, when it needed rest, all of those different things. And I think it's so important. Now, I don't question anything that my body's telling me. I actually listen and it it's a way to keep us safe too, if we exactly. just pay attention. Exactly. And it's really beautiful what you're saying. It's really beautiful that you've made the kind of adjustments that are life supporting and health supporting. Thank you. 
I wanted to get back to love letters to our bodies. In that workshop, we did more than write letters to our bodies, but I want you, Gwendolyn, to share with the audience a bit more about what takes place in the workshop. Yeah, thank you. We start with really looking at like how we feel about our bodies. There's a series of questions and polls, interactive polls that we go through. And also like really looking at whether or not there have been traumas because there is a high relationship between early traumas to the body, both physically, verbally, emotionally, and what happens in terms of the disease patterns that develop later on. So we look at those We actually have opportunities to discuss and share with sisters who are going through the same journey or who've been through that journey. We also do contemplations and we journal and we spend time really diving deep on some of these issues and some of these questions. We also learn mudras, for instance, hand positions that can really help us to bring more energy into the body, help us to set intentions in proper ways, and also to help us assimilate medications or assimilate our food. So they're very simple things that we can do and using our breath and using hand gestures that are very simple to do that really help us feel better. This is information that comes out of the Ayurvedic system in Indian medicine. And I really feel like, gosh, if we go back far enough in our own lineage, we would find these things from our grandmother's grandmother. But because we've been cut off from our history with the enslavement of African people, that it's necessary for us to find the information wherever we can and to revive it in our day-to-day lives and so that we can be healthier. So we do that. And really another very powerful part is the sharing of women who've been through this journey. I was so moved by by your story, Talia, and by the story of Erin Bionic Brown, for instance. I have to say that I'm leading the workshop in half the time I'm in tears. (laughs) Erin's amazing. So powerful. Um, And learning from each other is such an important part of it. I feel that we create this safe space, this cocoon, essentially, for a few hours on those days where we can be together and really, truly be ourselves. We can learn some things uh, to help us and then we can, you know, pay homage to our bodies and make amends to our bodies. And that's what the love letters portion is about. Thank you so much for doing this workshop. I know you've had several sessions throughout the summer and I highly recommend it. I am somewhat of an introvert, but Being in that group, I felt totally comfortable from day one talking and sharing with all the other ladies because you just really do feel this genuine connection. And the other thing I was really fascinated by were the videos. There was one, it was about water. And that one 
I, I just will never forget it. <laughs> and every time I think about you and I hear about love letters to our bodies, I think about that video. Yeah, Masuro Emoto was a Japanese researcher who really did extensive work looking at the impact of words and emotions on water. And our bodies are like 70% water. And so it's really so important for us to understand that what he did was he actually would freeze this water after exposing it to music of different kinds and of words of different kinds. And it really shows how these crystals form either as something exquisitely beautiful or something that's distorted and ugly. I have to say that one of the things that has been like a pet peeve of mine for many years, this is a total aside, <laughs> you know, I'll be in grocery stores and I'll hear mothers yelling at their kids. Yeah. And it breaks my heart because I know that those harsh words are going into that child's body. And the harsh words that we say to ourselves, the words that we use in music that are demeaning, yes. all of these things go into our body and they inform our condition. So that was such groundbreaking work. It's referenced in a lot of different audiences today. I think it's called Messages from Water, but his name is Masuro Emoto. And it's such a very powerful sharing and it sets the ground for everything that we are learning after that. Thank you for mentioning that one. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that and all the beautiful work that you do. I do have a personal question I have to ask. With you forming this workshop, Gwen, have you written your own love letter to your body? I have. I actually, <laughs> I am in an actual conversation with myself on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that we don't pay attention to is self-talk. Yes. And what the workshop has done for me is it's made me much more aware of my own self-talk. So when I'm standing in the mirror in the morning, looking at this, looking at that, I'm telling myself how much I appreciate you. Like, I, I love you. You're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I've just come into acceptance of all the features, the fact that I wear a nine and a half shoe and I don't have arches. You know? Yes. <laughs> My feet are closer to the ground. And so I'm like, I'm okay with that. So this whole process has called me more into conscious awareness of my relationship with my own body. The area where I'm still working is on getting enough sleep, which by the way, is so important to health. Yes, you are a night owl. Sometimes I see your emails the next day. I'm like, what is she doing now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. I was born like at 7.42 p.m. Mm -hmm. in the evening. And it seems like I come awake, fully awake around 10 at night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's my natural biorhythm. And for years, I was forced to be in this. Uh, frame of going to work every day and having to get up at six, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really go with my natural biorhythms, but 
Now I allow myself the flexibility to sleep in later and just try to make sure that I get a proper amount of rest. But I'm also working on just being more aligned with the cycles of the moon also. And it seems like when everybody goes to sleep, mm-hmm. there's more psychic space that's available. And I feel more creativity because I don't feel the bombardment of all the thoughts of yeah, other people. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it's beautiful that you're following your body's rhythm. You're right. When you have to go to a nine to five or whatever, it's really hard to honor that and do that. So now that you have that freedom, that's a blessing. Yeah, it is. It is. What are the next steps for the Love Letter to Our Bodies project? We just are wrapping up for the 2023 grant. We get a small grant so that we can offer these workshops for free to women. And that's been really important to me. We're on volume two. I'm I'm happy the the booklet is right back from the printer. (laughs) And um, we'll be searching for sponsors to help us with this project because I want to really bring it to more and more women. And um, I'm going to be applying for the third year of the grant and hopefully be able to really reach more people because this is such important information that's really helpful on the journey. And we're starting the Love Letters podcast. I've been really inspired by you, Talia, and also you've been so generous with sharing information. I had no idea it was such a huge undertaking. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Right now I'm thinking of it in terms of a few episodes, not like an ongoing project. Some of the women in the workshop expressed interest in having a retreat in the Bahamas next year. So we're going to be looking at that to see if it's possible so that we can really immerse in the energy and spend four days or five days working with the breath work and the practices. So I'm hoping that we can get the kind of sponsorship support that it would make possible for the women to be able to participate in that. So thank you for asking. Absolutely. That's amazing. And I pray that you get the grant. I'm sure you will. And I wish you the best with the launch of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for helping me with that so much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. The other thing I want to ask you about are what other types of consciousness or healing events are you involved with? I know you have the Moyo Institute that I mentioned. So if you wouldn't mind just saying a little bit about that as well. Yeah, the Moyo Institute is a 501c3, and we're a nonprofit organization. It was an opportunity for me to have a vessel to pour this work out into the world in a supportive kind of way. And then in addition to the work that happens through Moyo, like the Love Letters Project, I'm also involved very much in spiritual work, a part of oneness community that is based in India. And I'm just honored to do a series of miracle programs where I've been going around the country hosting events where we have a really sacred event happen where you're 
water is turned into soma. It's ancient divine nectar that used to be uh, known as the elixir of the gods, essentially. But a person brings their own water bottle. It's with them the entire time. We go through a couple of processes, just informational, and then prayers for your water to be turned into soma. And then right there in the room, while you're there, bubbles come into your water or the water changes texture or it changes flavor. And that water gives you a sense of peace of mind and also joy. And during this process, people are invited to really focus on one miracle that they would like to have manifest in their lives. And people are experiencing extraordinary miracles as well. I'm really like having a great time. <laughs> we did an event here in the Bay Area. I've done one in Washington, D.C., one in Miami. Wow. On October 14th, I'm doing another one in the Bay Area, and I'm going to Portland to do one on the 21st of October. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of this work is to really help expose people to more of this, the, the sort of the foundation of my work that comes out of spiritual practice, and to let them know that a lot is possible outside of the normal way that we think about things like that life is a magical, mystical game. And when we're in alignment, much is possible. There's this opening that's happening in terms of planetary alignments <laughs> next January. And my teacher is really gifting people with high states of consciousness so that we can help move humanity forward in this way. So that is the work that I do separate from Moyo, but it's absolutely an integral part of what's important to me. I also serve as a meditation and wellness ambassador for a co-working space here in Richmond, where I live in California. So those are some of the things that I'm doing as well. Wow. All great work and just beautiful. Congratulations and much success on all of those projects. Thank you. And you're welcome. Gwendolyn, can you please tell the audience where they can learn more about Love Letters to Our Bodies and also the other work that you're doing? Yes. So the Love Letters to Our Bodies, if they go to our Moyo's website, it's moyoinstitute.org, M-O-Y-O, Institute, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot org. You can just click right on the front page to the Love Letters Project and go there and hear some of the letters read by women from last year. And we'll be getting the new Love Letters booklet up soon. To hear about the other work that I'm doing, go to my personal website, which is Gwendolyn g-w-e-n-d-o-l-y-n-mitchell.com gwendolyn-mitchell.com that's it wonderful i will include that information in the listen notes so that people who are interested they can get in touch and learn more beautiful thank you you're welcome before we wrap up, Gwendolyn, based on all your vast wisdom and knowledge and practices that you do, what tips do you have for individuals and families impacted by cancer? 
I think it's really important to be patient and to listen and to actually spend some time doing some research. One of the things that I'm a big advocate of is complementary therapies because I'm a Reiki master also. And for many years, I've seen the efficacy of that work in terms of really helping people navigate through disease, sometimes actually experiencing healing and curing, but definitely feeling comforted and nurtured and nourished and supported. A lot of the suffering that we experience is because of our fear and because of mm, the pain. We go beyond what's actually happening physically. We're fear of losing the person. How is our life going to be different? I want to tell people that cancer is not a death sentence, that there's more and more people living for many years past diagnosis, but early detection is important. And I would say to make that a priority and also take agency in the decisions about the treatment that one is going to receive. One of the things that I hear a lot is that people are sometimes rushed into decisions out of fear without really exploring what all the options are and to really do a little research, understand what stage one means, what stage two means, what stage three means, and to really see if this is a fast-growing issue or if this is something more slow-growing. And are there other kinds of things that can be supportive on the journey? So those are the tips that I would give. Yeah. Great tips. Thank you so much for sharing that information. Before we end, is there anything else, Gwendolyn, that you'd like to share that you haven't had an opportunity to share? I just want to say that we're really master creators, that we're creating our experience with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And for these things need to be in alignment for us to create harmony in our world and harmony in our bodies. And so to recognize that it's not enough to talk the talk, but we also have to walk the walk and to become mindful over what we let in. Like I say, be sovereign beings and guardians over what you let into your consciousness. There's so many examples of people who we're told, oh, you only have this amount of time to live. And they've beaten that by all odds. And so, you know, no one knows your hour except your creator. Just be in relationship with source, be in harmony, be prayerful, listen to things that are uplifting and life-supporting and nourishing explore alternative therapies and recognize that this life is a gift and it also has an expiration date. So be invested in it on a day-to-day basis, live the best life that you can. That's what I would add. Thank you. Thank you, Gwendolyn. And such 
words of wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. I think that is a great way to end this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Gwendolyn, and spending some time with me and also sharing with my audience about all the wonderful healing work that you're doing. Thank you, Talia, and thank you for really doing this podcast. It's so powerful. I've listened to several episodes, and I think that you're doing a beautiful service to humanity. And I'm really glad that you took something that could have been life-defeating and turned it into your superpower. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for those beautiful words and message. I received that from you, Gwendolyn. Thank you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. You can also listen to Navigating Cancer Together on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you found it helpful. Please be sure to subscribe, share, and tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you join me for the next episode. Talk to you soon.